Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Welcome, folks. Good morning. And uh, this is your host, Jose Negron, on voiceofamerica.com. On the Variety Channel, hosting the Lee Technology Show, T3, today, tomorrow's technology, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, noon East Coast Time. And I'm happy to announce that we're also on on Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday uh, for your listening pleasure. As always, I'd like to thank my audience. We have really uh, grown from the U.S. audience as well as our international audience. Uh, We're up to 14 different international countries, so I'd like to thank my audience out there for listening to the show. I think what attracts people to our show is the ability to bring the techies and the non-techies together and have a discussion of what is future technology all about, what is innovation and the creation of the new gadgets or uh, activities that go on in the scientific community that the general public will eventually see. Uh, Today is kind of special for me because I started looking at space and what we were going to do in space. So the question today is, what do we know about space? And the more I studied it, the more I researched it, the more I uh, thought about it, and especially in the last two weeks when the uh, United States decided to establish its own space force, you have the Falcon X going up, uh, relaunching reusable rockets, the whole atmosphere and the exploration of space. Uh, how, what is space? You know, what does our universe look like? So I've asked a special guest to come to talk to us about. I've invited uh, Bruce Abbott to uh, talk about space with me and have a discussion. Bruce is a former Navy aviator, has worked at NASA for many years, and is a uh, one of the real thinkers about what we need to do in space, space activities, and and discuss some of the space challenges. Uh, so let me just start uh, with uh, uh, giving the audience uh, our telephone number, 866-472-5788, or email me at Today Tomorrow's Technology. Uh, Mr. Hawks Abbott, as I know him as Hawks, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. You know, one of the challenges as I started looking at space and some of the facts, I'm going to break down the show in three major major areas. Uh, I'm going to go over a couple generic facts, and you can certainly add to your experience uh, uh, some of the uh, space shuttle activities that you did. Uh, We'll cover that. Then we'll move into the commercialization of space and and some of the, um, you know, 10 major leading companies there. And then finally, the militarization. But let me give you a little bit of the space facts, because these numbers are hard for me to comprehend. I mean, we're looking at billions and trillions of, uh, of, I guess, numbers, if you want to quantify that. So right now, you know, the sun is the center of our solar system. We understand that. We have nine planets, over 61 moons in this solar system of ours. We have the asteroid belt that's approximately 650,000 um, uh, you know, asteroids out there, different sizes. We have comets that go through, and of course, with lots of rocks and gas all orbiting the sun. Okay, our solar system is uh, is our stomping ground. 
Uh, we know it is the Milky Way. Just uh, from the sun, there's about 200 billion stars in the Milky Way, 200 billion stars. For me, that is very difficult to comprehend. And and it just shows you the expansion of why it's so important to understand space and especially how we're going to use space. Just uh, in the Hubble uh, um, Observatory, uh, it estimated that we have 100 billion galaxies. We're in we're in the Milky Way galaxy, a hundred billion galaxy. I mean, that's that number is very difficult for me to comprehend. And of course, uh, there's no gravity in space. There's a little bit of microgravity as uh, the planets orbit around the sun, and, and therefore uh, we have our nine planets: Mercury, Venus. Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and our ninth planet was Pluto, and of course that was uh, uh, um, shown to be a dwarf planet, and so we only have eight planets. Mercury is the closest. Neptune is about uh, 4.5 billion kilometers or 2.0 billion miles from the sun. And uh, in 2006, the Voyager uh, went from the solar system to the uh, interstellar space and it took 35 years so from the sun to the interstellar space 35 years that's 11 billion miles from the earth or 17 billion kilometers these are the numbers that we're talking about as we talk about space our universe you know the uh, the just the vastness of that uh, entire system, uh, that environment, uh, and so it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, you know the distance between the sun and the earth is 93 million miles or 150 million kilometers. Uh, Hawks, as I read these numbers, uh, what's the first thing you think about, and and why is space so important to us? Well, the the entrepreneurial piece of humanity is always exploring and going over the next hill, over the next river, and and we've uh, reached a point in our human expansion that we decided in the 40s and 50s that there was something out there called space, and, and it, it was above our atmosphere, and uh, we, we decided to explore. Uh, the, the interesting thing is that Carl Sagan was very correct. Uh, in his statements of billions and billions and billions of stars and and how far everything is from each other. When you imagine that a satellite has to to travel at uh, essentially Mach 25, 17,500 miles per hour just to maintain the orbit around the Earth, and that we have sent spacecraft, as you just mentioned, Voyager 1 and 2, have reached the heliopause beyond the effect of the sun's effects within our solar system. And, and it took 35, 36 years to get there at 50,000 miles per hour. Now, you, then you begin to realize just how much room is in between everything else. And, and uh, yeah, how that's essential a, that's as a we are human beings to explore the solar system. That's just a mind-boggling numbers when you're talking billions, 35 years to get from one spot to the other. Uh, you know, and we talk about space travel, the ability to go from uh, one planet to the other. Uh, there's new research now that's going on and, and a new vector of returning back to the moon, re- uh, moving towards Mars. You know, so the um, 
uh, the space station has done its job of collecting enough information. So these numbers are, are huge, you know, uh, as uh, the Kepler space mission data shows that uh, uh, as many as 40 billion Earth-sized planets are orbiting the habitable zone of our Milky Way. Yeah, that's 11 billion of these estimate planets that may be orbiting the sun star. I mean, 11 billion likes Earth planets. I mean, that's that's pretty hard to understand, comprehend. Uh, if you're not an astronomer or you your passion is not into looking at the stars or gazing at the stars or becoming an astronomer, uh, U.S. defines an ast- uh, astronaut as someone who's flown at least uh, 50 miles above. Uh, yet uh, NASA defines that as 76 miles uh, because that's where the reentry altitude begins to take uh, place and drag is noticeable on a space shuttle. So these are, it's quickly, we can get into space within an hour, which is also interesting to me, but yet the vastness of the universe, and they're still exploring it because, uh, you know, as I continue to read and research, there are no numbers that are are the same. You can look up a certain number in, in an encyclopedia and go to the next book, and there's different numbers. So uh, the solar system is a very big place, and uh, it's got its fair share of mysteries. Uh, as you started working at NASA, what are some of the uh, things you recall that you started to do? Oh, it, it was a wonderful environment for people who were excited about propulsion, about going into uh, uh, space, into into orbit, and to travel to other uh, planets within our solar system. So they started looking at uh, what powers the satellite, for example. The Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, who have now gone into the heliopause, were both nuclear-powered satellites so that they could withstand the coldness of space. And the, as they got further and further out, there was not enough sunshine that you could use solar cells to uh, affect the uh, um, the operation of the satellite itself. So that was one of the issues that I learned very early on is how do you power a spacecraft that for the extended periods of time it takes to get from, for example, Earth to Mars or to any of the uh, any of the other solar system planets. Uh, and And we started thinking about well, what kind of propulsion could we develop that would travel fast enough so we could actually leave our solar system and go to another solar system? Uh, we haven't quite cracked that that uh, interesting point because uh, Star Trek has done that for us when it says it's, it's going into multiple times the speed of light. Uh, we haven't uh, figured out how the... the the change in our ability for, to go from mass to massless and then back to mass uh, when we uh, slow down. Uh, so that's one of the inherent problems of, uh, uh, of physics as uh, Einstein, uh, both uh, specific and relativity, general relativity. Uh, everything is about how fast you're going to be moving. Well, we definitely needed to develop the, um, you know, the rocket speed, uh, the warp speed, as we hear it on on, on television and, and movies. But it's interesting, I mean, when you talk about, you know, 35 years from Earth to um, out to the um, interstellar space, 
system in in the 200 uh, uh, I guess 200 billion stars out there just in the Milky Way and a hundred billion galaxies I mean this is this is phenomenal when you start talking about that and then we all talk about the five states of matter which uh, you know as we all know the state of matter is solids liquids gases plasma and boys Einstein condensates uh, it's it's quite interesting, uh, just uh, the last two, plasma and the Boyce-Einstein condensates, uh, which is something that is a material that we still don't understand. We're still learning. Uh, last week's show was about innovation, science, and technology. We had different uh, uh, definitions, and right now we're talking about science and understanding basic research for our further understanding on how do we continue to explore uh, space. It is quite interesting. I started wondering about this topic um, a couple weeks ago, as I said, when we announced the U.S. Space Force. And but my intent here, hopefully, that uh, that you take away a little bit about what we are currently doing in space, uh, why are we exploring space, why is it important to explore space, and then tell us a little bit about uh, you know possibly going back to the moon. Is that a good idea? Going back to Mars. And, and just the missions, uh, the difference between space orbital craft with man in the loop or just um, robotics that uh, the Voyeur 1 and 2, as Hawks mentioned. Uh, any questions about that, Hawks, as we move towards man or unmanned systems? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the first piece that has to go forward is the unmanned piece because we want to characterize what we're going to look at first and then develop the uh, uh, experiments that we want to do. And that's exactly what uh, uh, Gemini and Apollo did before the landings, uh, the six landings on the moon. We very carefully figured out where we were going to land those spacecraft on the moon. We figured out what we wanted those people to look at uh, to, char- to further characterize the regolith of the moon, the depth of the moon, uh, the size of the moon, how far it was from Earth, all kinds of things went on. If uh, people have read about each of the various Apollo landing missions, uh, including Apollo 13 that didn't land and came home, uh, there was at least 200 major experiments on each flight to find out more information about what the moon was, how it existed, why it didn't have an, uh, an atmosphere. actually has a very small atmosphere, but not, uh, it's so small that you, you hardly can detect it. But the, the, the interesting thing is, the more we learned, the more we were asking additional questions. And the, the same questions were applied to Mars, as we found out uh, since our first flyby with Mariner, uh, of what exactly Mars looked like, and that there weren't canals on it. Uh, as uh, uh, the Percival uh, originally said, there were canals on it, and it looked like there was actually life on Mars when, when there isn't. Um, it, it's fascinating as we learn more things about each of the objects in our local uh, solar system, how many more has caused us to ask about how the solar system was formed and uh, and how life would be significantly different if we didn't have a moon. 
Uh, Absolutely. And you know, there's, uh, well, the discussion about man or unman, I think you've answered it pretty well. We need both. We need to explore uh, with unmanned systems to get a, a feel of the environment and understand the environment so that we can take man, because man's the creature that can take those uh, lessons and apply them to uh, mankind. And it's interesting to know that. Uh, with all the stars, planets, and galaxies, you know, that we can see today, we only make up 4% of the universe. Uh, I just want to make sure the audience understand the vastness of space and why we need man and unmanned systems, why we are talking about propulsions, why are we returning to the moon and Mars again so that we can continue to explore the um, the next uh, the next phase of our well, lifestyle. And the, and what you pointed out, Jose, is exactly where I was going with human uh when we go beyond the moon or back to the moon and then on to mars we're going to learn things on the moon that we need to apply to going to uh mars now mars has a an atmosphere that is uh eight one thousandths of what ours is and uh, so it, it, the dust storms uh, on mars are particulate matter that could blow all day against us and we would never fall over uh, so that's one of the things that we have found out uh, through the examination of Mars, that it has a very small atmosphere, and that the dust, when it covers the entire planet, would knock us over in a windstorm. So those kinds of things happen, and the reason we we are actually going to Mars is that at some point, with uh, the population of Earth reaching well beyond 8 billion, we're going to have to find new territories to put humans on and survive on and to excel on. Uh, so that's why we're going to Mars. Unless uh, and, and we want to see major die-offs of human beings on, on Earth, which can't support past probably 12 billion people. Right, right. So, folks, uh, we're listening to uh, the T3 show, What Do We Need to Know on Space? My guest is Hawks Abbott today. We're discussing space and the information that many of us do not know but need to know. And we're going to our first commercial break, and we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Divorce or domestic family issues can take their toll not only on the adults who are party to it, but also to their children. Sometimes separation or divorce are far better solutions than staying around a toxic relationship. Now there's a show that listens and provides solutions. Listen for Reclaiming Your Life with host Don Christensen. In this program, we discuss family crisis issues which can happen to anyone. Divorce with dignity is possible, and working together can achieve wonderful results. Listen Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. 
What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technology Show. Uh, we're talking today about what do we know about space. My guest today is Mr. Hawks Abbott. Uh, he's helping me discuss space and information that we all need to know. Hawks is a former Navy aviator, worked at NASA for many years, and he, for me, he's a real thinker about what we should do in space, space activities, and understanding space challenges. This segment, I'd like to turn to commercialization of space or the exploration of space. Uh, you know, uh, talk about uh, where do we go from here. Just a quick summary, uh, as I we ended the last segment, uh, I said that the, our personal solar system is 4% of the universe, uh, you know, and that, that to me is very difficult to understand. Uh, we're surrounded by four terrestrial planets, which is uh, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. Uh, we have an asteroid belt, four gas giant planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranians, and Neptune, and there's over 88 constellations, and a constellation is a group of stars, and if the Milky Way has over 100 billion stars, you can imagine uh, 88 constellations, so that's real difficult. So the question now is, since we are lifting off to go to space, and there's a lot of companies racing to get us to space, why do we need to go to space? So in the mid-20th century, it's called the space age, and we talked about man and unmanned uh, vehicles going into space and the reasons for that. But currently, there's 13 countries that have launched rockets into space, and I found that kind of interesting. you got China, various European nations, Iran, Israel, Italy, North Korea, South Korea, India, Japan, United States, France, Ukraine, and Russia. There's six key or major space agencies that you have your Chinese, your European, your Indian, your Japanese, the U.S., NASA, and, of course, the Russian Space Agency. Just NASA alone has 10 major field centers uh, throughout the United States. It employs over 18,000 employees. 
uh, as I look at the commercialization of space, uh, the satellites, uh, in the, and there are over 4,600 satellites in 2017, as stated by the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. That number fluctuates because of a variety of things, but the satellites uh, orbiting Earth are for observation, for communication, for navigation, weather, space telescopes, and, of course, our own space station. Hawks, as we move towards commercialization and the integration of these various satellites and the capability, how do we move forward or what's on your mind the next best thing in the commercialization? Well, part of it is uh, in an ongoing process over the last 20 years where uh, meteorology, oceanography, uh, what's going on on Earth has been the focus of the satellites uh, that collect that data. Uh, NASA's Aqua and Terra satellites, for example, and uh, GOES satellite that uh, do the meteorology, uh, have provided and saved probably tens of thousands of lives on Earth because they predicted where a uh, typhoon or a hurricane hit or uh, major uh, disturbances in in, uh, uh, storms and so on have happened. Uh, And that's just one modality for what satellites have done for us. Uh, as we as we moved into more technical areas of uh, satellite collection, we, we've done things like the GPS uh, satellites, the global positioning satellite. Everybody uses those satellites every day, every time they process, process a credit card uh, at a store where they've just purchased something. Uh, now we know where you bought it and what it was and everything else, and that's the the knowledge game that Amazon and Google have accomplished uh, in this new world that incorporates satellites whizzing around uh, the Earth. Uh, the next generation of satellites will define more and more activities for us both on the moon and for on Mars as we send people there and we start populating it because that satellite will tell us what's going on on the surface of uh, uh, Mars and on on the Moon, and help us de- uh, not only protect ourselves from solar storms, for example, solar particle events from sunspots and so on on the Moon, because we will have to hide from some of those events because of uh, the radiation that's perpetuated by a solar storm. In the same way, in a lesser atmospheric environment on Mars, we have to protect ourselves there as well, and that's why the suggestion is that we'll live in various caves on on uh, Mars when we first get there before we start building, uh, you know, cities and uh, so on. For the shelters, yeah. Well, uh, I'm looking at this um, uh, documentation here on my research, and, you know, Russia launched its first satellite, Sputnik 1 in 57. The oldest uh, satellite still orbiting is uh, from 1958. Just in 2017, there was uh, 357 objects launched into space, and according to the U.S. uh, Space Surveillance Network, there's over 21,000 objects larger than 10 centimeters orbiting Earth. And then, of course, there's four types of communication satellites in different orbits, the GEO, the LEO, the MEO, and the HELO, uh, which is important for our understanding uh, uh, and communication of the various uh, satellites. So it's quite interesting uh, as we continue to to move out, and I think uh, 
the number for commercial satellites are going to continue to grow, and there is an exploitation of satellites uh, coming to us uh, to uh, to give us more information in the various topics I talked about, uh, from observation, communication, navigation, weather, uh, just space telescopes, uh, learning the future frontier. And then taking that space station uh, knowledge into, as you said, back to the moon and then back to Mars. Uh, any uh, other comments on where are we on satellites? Well, we, we are beginning to use satellites uh, more technically uh, because that we have concerns about uh, adversaries around the world that would uh, try and dominate the use of space. So we have to defend that uh, uh, that domain as we move forward. Uh, the United States has been it it has been used to the sole domain of U.S. Uh, uh, superiority uh, in space because we develop more satellites faster. We put them into space to do certain things for us. Uh, you know, as you know, we take pictures from space uh, uh, commercially. That has been a viable product around the world to those people who couldn't fly a satellite. They can call up and say, I want a picture of this, and we take the picture commercially and provide it to them. Uh, It's helped uh, agriculture. It's helped uh, disease detection. It's helped uh, how we perceive our world and the changes in it, whether they've been detrimental or to the the good. Uh, For example... The detection of the floating debris in the Pacific Ocean that's over seven miles long and uh, 60 miles wide uh, is from things that we've thrown in the ocean that we shouldn't have. And so, therefore, we have to, it's another problem we have to take care of. But we at least have been able to monitor those kinds of events through the satellite systems. Absolutely. So let me give you a list of the, I guess, the 10 most successful innovative companies in space. Start off with SpaceX for marketing rockets that are reusable and seeing Mars as a possible landing zone. Boeing for keeping up with the commercial upstarts. And uh, Boeing's always been a leader in in the space shuttle. And so it's... uh, it's really competing with the, uh, the newcomer SpaceX in Sierra Nevada. You got Orbital Science that is joining the Orbital Delivery delivery uh, platforms so they can um, take uh, supplies and cargo runs. You have the Sierra Nevada Corporation for restructuring the space plane. Uh, we need a new design, the Dream Chaser, you know, so that uh, we can go faster and longer distance. Uh, you got a Virgin Galactica that's uh, lighting a fire under the tourism. And in fact, I noticed they just completed their third test. And uh, I think they want to do one or two more tests before they take uh, tourists up into space. And it's uh, about $200,000, $250,000 a crack. You got X-Core Aerospace for building rockets that run like a car engine. Uh, new new propulsion systems are key. Made in space is using the tech, uh, trendy tech that we see today and pioneering space-based manufacturing. The reason we want to go to the moon or Mars is for the minerals and, and so forth. Adstra, rocket company, energizing and electrical propulsion. 
planetary resources are working hard to continue their growth. So all these systems and companies continue to push the envelope for commercialization of space and the use of space as we push out. Uh, do you have any comments on, or any uh, questions there that you'd like to propose to the audience there at Hawks? Well, I, I, there's a couple of things that are going on simultaneously. Uh, one of them is that we detect things on the surface of Earth and provide that information to help protect citizens and people on the Earth. Uh, we've, we've identified those as meteorology, uh, oceanography, uh, images of this, images of that. We take those uh, of, uh, of the Western fires right now, for example, and, and help us determine where the true high, uh, hot spots are and how to defend or how to protect our national force. Uh, and we try and do that worldwide. The, the other part of dominance is that we need to use uh, the commercial assets for furthering the process of going to space. And so they are talking about capturing uh, meteorites or, or, or uh, uh, things that are in space that would provide a value to us here on Earth and bring them back. Uh, even the idea of uh, putting solar cells on the moon, for example, um, you know, if you put a five-kilometer grid of solar cells on the moon that faces sun, the sun 100% of the time, what kind of energy would you be able to microwave to certain places that didn't have energy? So, you know, we're looking at that because that would be a modality for uh, gaining economic gain from space. In other words, the collection of uh, of uh, the, the sunlight against a, a, a moon that doesn't have any atmosphere, so you get more production of energy faster than you, you would anywhere else. Uh, and also, if there's other things that are both from um, asteroids and, and meteorites that are out there, that we could uh, gain value from uh, uh, from the the construction of the solar system and all its asteroids, there's you know, untold wealth of water, uh, uh, iron, gold, uh, uh, rare earth metals, such as iridium, and in each of these flying balls that we call, uh, they could come and, and fly by us uh, and or hit the earth at some point in time. Well, there was a... Um uh, the reason for the commercialization of space really took a toll, especially in the U.S., because of the cost of it. And I think we may have just changed the focus a little bit after our moon landing, where the Soviet Union programs shifted to uh, crew orbital space station. And while the U.S. started working on the um, uh, space station and especially Skylab that hosted uh, more than one crew member, and I think that was to in uh, to establish and learn and do the basic research for future exploration of space. We needed to gather that type of information. How does uh, space impact the body? Uh, you know, what is the uh, what are the conditions that man can live, or how long he can live? In fact, one of the conditions is you you grow taller in space. Uh, so, as you were participating in your uh, NASA 
uh, tour while you were still in the Navy. Uh, what are the things you observe? Well, there were several things. Uh, one of the worst is space ab- adaptation sickness, or SAS as we called it. Uh, and it, it's just the fact that when you go into microgravity, uh, none of the systems that you grew up with on one one uh, uh, terra firma uh, environment where we walk on Earth at, at uh, the seashore, we feel a certain amount of pressure above us, the, the, the 1,023 millibars of uh, mercury uh, pressure on top of us uh, that the atmosphere is... Uh, uh, forcing down on us. So when you go to microgravity, all the inner ear pieces fail to de- uh, understand what you're doing and the movement of it, and therefore you often lose your cookies uh, when you go to uh, space. And so uh, it, it's a, a very known uh, event. And there are, But there are other things that go on at the same time. There's changes in the eye. Uh, and how it, uh, you visualize things because you're no longer in 1G environment. And there are changes in uh, how your your body processes calcium, so you have uh, some uh, detrimental effects on bone structure. And you, you find out that you are become a little puffy because the liquids in your body don't tend to uh, filtrate out through normal processes. They seem to t- tend to stay in the, the tissue. So long-term effects of being in a microgravity environment is not really good for the human body because we grew up in 1G terra firma. And so Absolutely. when we go to Mars, it's going to change. When we go to the moon, it's going to change for us. Um, in fact, uh, several of the Apollo astronauts and my good friend Alan Bean, rest his soul, uh, who just recently passed away, who was talking about when he first stepped off the pad on Apollo 12 onto the lunar surface, he said, heavens to Mercatroid, here I am, I, I launched from Earth on 1G, and as we were rocketing up to go to orbit, I was at 4 to 5 to 6 Gs, and then we did a couple of swirls around the Earth and then took off for the moon, and I was in microgravity for three days, then landed on one-sixth of the gravity okay, pool. Okay, Hawks, hold that thought right there. The hold that thought. You're listening to T3. Our show is What Do We Need to Know About Space, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Cologne offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune into Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to T3 Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Our show today is What Do We Know About Space? My guest is uh, Hawks Abbott, and he's been a, a former Navy aviator, worked at NASA for many years, and we've been t- talking about uh the big, uh, just space facts, and more importantly, the commercialization of space. Uh, innovative companies like uh, SpaceX, Orbital Science, uh, Virgin Galactica, and talking about the various satellites that are orbiting. About 4,600 satellites are up there, uh, and of course, <clears throat> they perform various functions as Earth observation, communication, navigation, weather, space telescopes, and of course the the space stations for human uh, living conditions and monitoring uh, how how is man affected by space. I would like to turn the subject a little bit into militarization, but Hawks, I would like for you to finish the story and the changes in from a space launch to landing to return that you were describing earlier. Oh, Alan Bean is a very good friend, and like I said, I'm very sad that he's recently passed, but. He was giving a story to uh, some of the uh, uh, Naval Academy uh, cadets about his landing on the moon. And after he'd been in uh, multiple G launch and micro G transfer, and then to one six G as he landed on the moon, and uh, his compatriot, Mr. Conrad, was already out under the surface of the moon, and uh, he beckoned him to get out and start with the experiments that they had planned for Apollo 12, and so out comes uh, Alan Bean out through the LEM uh, uh, ladder and so on, and down to the foot pad that's on the uh, on the surface of the moon. And he said, you know, as the cadet had asked him, well, how did you feel about this? And he, he explained, look, I, I've gone through the last five days, I've gone through uh, 1G up to 6Gs on launch, micro-G, to the 16G, and now I'm standing on the bottom of this footpad, and I'm going to hang on to the, the ladder until I feel like I can stand up straight and walk. 
And so as he stepped out, he let go of the uh, ladder, took his first step, and he said, I almost fell flat on my face. So the, the, the cadets laughed for some time about the truth of the matter, uh, of the changing environment uh, very quickly. Yeah, you go from uh, weight to non, uh, weightlessness to just the impact of gravity or non-gravity impact on you. Okay, folks, well, we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about the facts uh, of uh of space, the vastness of it, uh, over a hundred billion galaxies out there, over two hundred billion stars in our own Milky Way galaxy, uh, thirty-five years traveling from the sun to the inner space, uh, interstellar space, and we finished it off a little bit earlier with uh, commercialization of space. Now I'd like to turn the segment to the militarization of space. There's currently eleven countries who have satellites, the United States, Soviet Union, Spain, United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, uh, China, India, Israel. These are 11 countries that have uh, military satellites in the space. And as we know, just this a um, couple weeks ago, the U.S. Uh, at least recommended by President uh, Trump to establish the U.S. Space Force. Uh, uh, with STRATCOM taking the lead and the Air Force being the component. And so let's talk about the U.S. Space Force, Hawks. Uh, good idea, bad idea. Are you neutral on that, and where should we go? Well, I don't think we have a choice. Uh, for many, many years, uh, at the very beginning of space-based systems, we were the undisputed king of technology capabilities and awareness of, of enemy activities in denied airspace and ground sites. Um, and it's no longer the case. Uh, the bad guys are gaining rapidly, and whoever they may be, as as we define adversaries, but in in some cases exceeding uh, some of our capabilities in space right now. So they have come to par or peer with us. And if we want to protect the fact that we uh, use GPS when everybody's out hunting in the fall in the western states, for example, and uh, uh, everything that we do uh, commercially uh, when we talk to the other side, if we have a friend in Europe and they pick up the telephone and call us, how do you think that gets to, uh, gets to you? It's through a space asset. And we need, to, we need to protect what we've developed over the last 40 years as part of our infrastructure to the United States. Uh, to lose that, in a dramatic fashion, would uh, would literally leave us uh, undefendable, and w- so we need to protect the capabilities that we've developed, not only for looking at things at the on the surface of the Earth, but uh, for our abilities to move forward to the Moon and, and on to Mars. You know, as I look at the. Uh uh, space challenge from a military perspective, uh, I guess you can say all the satellites have uh, uh, dual use, commercial use. The GPS certainly has, the communication certainly has. But, uh, you know, at, at one stage, space was uncontested. Uh, it wasn't uh, for military use, and now people are using military use or the possibility of military use. Uh, it was said that the space station, Soviet 3, was fitted with a 23 millimeter cannon and they successfully fired at a satellite. 
And as of 2008, most Soviet cosmonauts are carrying small arms. So uh, that that quote right there reminds me of uh, in World War One, where the pilots would carry their own, you know, single shot pistol uh, to hit the other fighter pilot one on one. So uh, there's all kinds of uh, shotgun shells, flares, and other activities uh, of weapons being designed. And of course, you know, we have the uh, electronic uh, warfare that's going on and cyber security that's going on in space. And everyone's trying to ensure that what's happening in the terrestrial. Uh, side of the house does not happen in space. As we move forward with our own space forces and the legality of the space force, uh, and you mentioned it uh, quite uh, uh, bluntly, is that we need to keep up. We need to make sure that we have access to space and we can maneuver in space just like all the other four domains. Uh, we need to make sure that we have that capability. Uh, any other suggestions on your part as you see China and Russia continue to uh, grow and expand their space capability? Well, the demarcation from the White House to develop a space force uh, has come forward to most of the community uh, who deals with space. Uh, as a final report on the organizational and management structure for the national security space components of the Department of Defense. So uh, what the White House is telling us that we need to be prepared in space. And on 9 August of this year, uh, the, 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 uh, it, it has defined that the United States, States faces rapidly growing threats to our space capabilities. China and Russia, our strategic competitors, are explicitly, explicitly pursuing space warfighting capabilities to neutralize U.S. space capabilities during a time of conflict. Well, it's not only our assets in a time of conflict, it's our assets that economically drive the U.S. uh, uh, to be a leader in economics worldwide. And so we have to protect those assets, not only in an economic sense for our country, but for a defensive posture that lets everybody know that you can't do this to us and affect our way of life. Yeah, that's true. And I'm sitting here, uh, give you a couple of factoids here. Um, in uh, the U.S., uh, pilot F-15 in the mid-'80s successfully shot down a communication satellite that was uh, 345 miles in orbit. Uh, the People Republic of China destroyed an obsolete satellite. The U.S. did the same thing, um, destroying a satellite uh, with a rocket test. Uh, no casualties in either uh uh, shoot downs, I guess, uh, more than anything else. But uh, that, be- you know, that was the mid '80s. That's beginning the militarization in 2007. Uh, the obsolete uh, satellites were shot down or destroyed, and so forth. Uh, space treaties are now uh, beginning to be questioned and and considered and and discussed. Uh, the mutual assured destruction uh, that became the current strategy 
is now being questioned. So all these things are ongoing right now. Uh, the capacity for Russia and China to, to continue to grow in their experience in space. I was quite surprised that we had 11 countries with uh, military capability in space. So that that growth continues to expand, and the capability, military capability, if you want to say, uh, continues to uh, expand as well. Any questions on uh, or any uh, thoughts on um, China's role in the future? Well, uh, China, without a doubt, wants to move ahead of the United States and uh, space superiority. They want to go back to the moon before we get there. Uh, they want to lay claim to being number one, uh, and that's how they want to perceive the world because they feel like they, uh, uh, they are going to be number one uh, in the world. They have 1.4 billion people uh, in the country, and all are working towards certain, uh, let's say, goals, and one of them is to be space superior to the United States. The, the information is very clear. They've stated that. Um, the bottom line is that just like we did with aviation, uh, aviation was a very dangerous uh, entrepreneurial uh, business in the early 1920s, 1930s, through probably World War II. Uh, and we're reaching the same level of activity on orbit. And so some kind of management process for dealing with uh, problems on orbit needs to come forward. And that's one of the things that the, the space core slash cadre will do uh, for the United States if we uh, bring it forward correctly. Uh, any kind of management of several thousand, as uh, Mr. Negrone has pointed out to us, uh, uh, orbiting satellites need to be managed in such a way that we don't have collisions. And, and we've had those already. We had a collision uh, with uh, Iridium-33 and Cosmos-2251, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. And that was back in 2000 five or six that this happened. And, and let me tell you, it, it made a mess of that portion of the orbit because all that debris came forward. Um, and okay. uh, more well, of those Hawks, events will happen as we move forward. Hawks, we've got about a, uh, two minutes left. Uh, give me a minute of wrap-up on your side, and I'll wrap it up on my side for the next minute. Uh, your final thoughts, please. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that we decided as a country uh, through uh, uh, several of our presidents and, and specifically President Kennedy challenging us to go to the moon. What that produced for us was becoming a, a leader in all things space and, and all things that deal with the physics of space and the science of space and we need to maintain that leadership because it's made so many, so many parts of our lives better. Uh, whether it's the MRI CAT scans that uh, the medical community took aboard to help us do better definition of internal problems to the human body, uh, or maybe it was just something of taking pictures of faraway places that Hubble has done for us. And now that we know that there are exoplanets out there by the thousands that have water on them, which is essential for life, 
we need to, 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 to keep this face leadership up. And I think that's my, my final statement. Great uh, job there, Hawks. Uh, folks, we've been listening to Hawks Abbott. Uh, he's helped me discuss uh, space information. Uh, and the, the topic today was what do we know about space? Uh, Hawks is a former uh, Navy aviator, worked in NASA for many years, and it's a real true thinker about space and space challenges. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to today's show, Executive uh, Producer D. Daniels, and of course my EA, Alexander Loreno. Uh, she's off uh, to a meeting today. Uh, join us uh, at our next uh, tech show uh, next week, but I believe we have accomplished our goal. Uh, what are we doing now in the commercial space? What is uh, U.S. Space Forces or militarization of space? And just some basic facts of space, the expansion of the universe is just huge. So until our next meeting, this is Jose Negron, your host for T3, today, tomorrow's technologies. Until our next meeting, take care. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.